So, hey, um, the, we're live today from the golf outing. The Northwest Pennsylvania SPE golf outing in, it's technically in New York, Mercedes has a problem with that, um, but it is the closest to Erie. I'm in the process of making my peace with it though. I did go to college in New York State, it is good to be back. Even though this is nowhere near where I went to college. <laughs> like This is the opposite side of the state, but nice try. Anyway, I'm Mercedes Landazri. And I'm Lindsay Neville. And with our forces combined, we are... Last Chicks! We set it on time together. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Look at us. Good job. If you've got a question, the voices of res and I hear. Oh, Last Chicks. Nice job. <laughs> oh, and uh, don't, forget our, uh, don't forget about our guest here today, who is an old friend of yours. That's true. Today we have uh, John Cranick. Uh, John and I, we went to school together. I was technically a year ahead until I did my um, co-op, and then we had a semester together. And then we actually worked together at Accudine for three and a half, something almost four like years, that. something like that. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Well, I have to say, you know, I am like, uh, what's the most, like, I'm like a very, like, scared rabbit right now. Not because you're imposing, but just, you know, it's the beginning of the day. It's a You new look re- very weak. <laughs> no, you look very relaxed, I was going to say. And I was going to ask you, was it because you were warming up with some yoga this morning? All the time. Yeah. So, okay, okay, I see where this is going. So, yes, in our senior year, Lindsay and I needed to get some extra credits to finish up our undergraduate. And we did take a yoga class together. I was just telling someone, the senior year for me consisted of a yoga class, the history of animation, what? and a bowling class. And I was just telling Mercedes on the way over, I did yoga, music theory, and then I think I TA'd like a freshman class. It's great. I t- my, my senior year, my very last semester of college, I took um, Russian, German, French, Japanese, and... Uh, and a linguistics course. So basically the same schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but no yoga, so I'm not very flexible. Uh, you know, can't win them all. All right. Um, well, John, uh, I suppose we should probably kick this off by you giving us a little bit of your background, a little bit of your history. Sure. sure. Why we want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys already mentioned that Lindsay and I knew each other from uh, studying plastics engineering technology together. Um, I graduated in 2009 and went to work right away for a company called Accudine. They're a custom injection molder and they're, uh, our claim to fame is, you know, we, we produce engineered parts made out of engineered resins. And that sounds a little cliche, but you know, we, we tackle anything that is challenging, um, anything that's really tight tolerance. And, uh, you know, we, we want to take on projects that other companies don't want to look at. So, um, yeah, it was a scary time to graduate in 2009. Uh, it was right in the middle of the economic downturn. And um, there was just a lot of uncertainty in the industry for where people would end up and what people would be doing. Well, and, in the world, not yeah, just the industry. Yeah, yeah, in the entire world. Right. Yeah, it was something like, uh, you know, 40% of sales dropped in that October, just like that. It's fine. Just graduate, have some school loans, don't yeah. get into start, the workforce. Yeah, start your career with that. 
So uh, yeah, I was very, uh, very fortunate to uh, find an engineering position with a, uh, you know, with Acudine, a family-owned business, and started as the sole engineer there. And over the last, uh, you know, 10 years now, we're up to a department of um, eight engineers that I'm now the engineering manager responsible for. So it's been quite an adventure. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned, you know, scary time to graduate. I graduated the December 2008, and out of... uh, the plastics program, you know, kind of boasts 100% placement. I think that was the first year um, there wasn't 100% placement, and it wasn't because we were dummies. It was. Well, <laughs> I mean, you've told me some stories about, like, your lab partners. <laughs> and we will keep those as stories. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I had been working at, um, I took a job at a company called um, Pittsburgh Plastics Manufacturing down in Butler, and I was doing a lot of... Um, urethanes and um, cast urethanes and stuff like that and um, one day John reached out and he said hey we're actually looking for a second engineer you think um, I think you'd be good for it he probably sent that as just like a blanket email I was blind copied on but it's fine I responded (laughs) (laughs) jokes on him and um, so then I came up and I interviewed and uh, because I wanted to get back into more injection molding more you know what I classically learned as opposed you know to. I can I can remember talking to uh, my boss at the time and said hey you know I got this interview from somebody and you know I talked to her and she described herself as bubbly and bossy I said I think <laughs> I know you. exactly who you talked to <laughs> oh, that's amazing that's yep that's probably a pretty good description of myself way to go me <laughs> hashtag point to Lindsay <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and I remember when we started off, we actually shared an office. Not like an office space, one office. Oh, yeah, it was probably, what, like 10, 10 foot by 8 foot. We called it the command center. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it did look like NASA. <clears throat> did you guys have a, lo- a lot of buttons? Flashing so many lights. <laughs> yeah. No, no. The, the the key factor for this office was having to have space for a bookshelf. That you know, us as as new graduates, we thought that this was like this was the thing that you had to have in an office. Mm-hmm. So we arranged Books. the entire. We're thing. smart. Yeah, we're smart. We're in the engineering <laughs> office. So we essentially cut the room in half so that we can put a bookshelf on one side and pretty much had our office chairs back to back in this big U-shaped desk. Yeah, it was kind of like a warning, I'm getting up from my chair, it will hit you. Can you tuck in a little bit and heads up, I need to sneeze, hold on to something. And blast off. Now, there's a whole wing at Acudine for engineering, so now he's spoiled. (laughs) I thought you were gonna say there's a whole like a a whole wing of a library, like (laughs) there should be. You know, we have we have a lot of books. (laughs) We have a lot of books now. I want to see the Cranick and well Collard (laughs) Memorial Library, even though we're not dead and Collard's my maiden name. So we'll we'll carve out like a four foot by two foot space and just cram it all in there. Perfect. I love it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Um, so you mentioned, you know, Acudine is a family-owned company, and that's kind of what we wanted to talk to you about today. Um, because I think with this industry in particular, there's a lot of 
family-owned businesses, um, and there are some that just go so right, like Accudine, and there's some that just go so wrong, and we kind of want to talk about what Accudine does right, and especially in keeping that a family-owned business and keeping it going as a family-owned business. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, there's, you know, there's two underlying points to be made here. And the, the first, it's all about the, you know, the company's founders. So, um, you know, the owners of Accudine, they both came from large automotive tier one, tier two supplier companies that, um, you know, they, they just had a lot of experience in the heyday of plastics and what the automotive industry had become. And, you know, when, when given the opportunity, decided that they had a shot to do it better. And that, um, you know, that core value and being able to serve the customer better than what they had experienced is something that, you know, ingrained, ingrained itself in the culture of the company. Um, and that's the other point. It's, it's the underlying culture. So starting as a small business, you know, you've got people that are wearing lots of hats, You've got people that are jumping in. Some people are processing. Some people are troubleshooting over here. Other people are, you know, starting up a quality lab. And all of that has to scale. And, you know, the kind of the underlying vehicle to take care of that scaling is that culture. It's those core beliefs, the core values, the core behaviors that everybody in the organization needs to uphold. And that's something that I think Acunine has done very, very well in instilling, um, you know, across all the departments of the, as they've matured. And then also as the, um, as the founders have put together a succession plan. So, you know, there's, there's three children that are taking over the business now. So that's been part of a five-year plan. Wow, three children who are involved in the, in the family it's, business. And all in different facets, too. It's, wow. Right, so that's, that's really, really interesting. Cool. So, yeah, there's, there's an engineer. There's, um, you know, an accounting background, accounting and finance, sales, marketing. And right now, this is uh, probably my, my favorite title in, in the business right now, uh, the VP of miscellaneous stuff. <laughs> so, that's gotta be John. So, John, hey, that's John. To, you got it. I have to interject. John Clyde, the youngest of them. When you were when you were talking, uh, John, when you were talking about um, wearing different hats in a small business, I was thinking about oh, like okay, so the the salesperson is wearing like a bowler hat, and then the the VP of miscellaneous stuff is wearing like a, a beanie with a propeller on it. Like I was talking about, I was thinking this is how my brain works. It's, anyway, kinda, John, it's like a Dr. Seuss hat. Like everything just keeps popping out of it. In all fairness, John Bly could pull off the propeller hat. <laughs> yes, you could. Yeah, I mean, there's there's basically things that, as an owner, they just need to be involved in for facility maintenance and, you know, contract review and, like, all, all the other initiatives and things that need to have an owner's signature. And, you know, doing research, it ended up being a real title from maybe uh, Intuit or TurboTax or something like that. We said, that's it. That's going to be the title. That is an awesome title. <laughs> I'm slightly jealous of that title. Right? So, yeah, wait. I feel boring as yeah. engineering manager. <laughs> 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 Quick question. Is there anybody, any male in Erie not named John? Because it seems like everybody uh, is named John. No, there are Davids. Oh, Davids. Okay, There's a couple you. Davids. I know a Steve, too. Oh, oh weird. Huh. <laughs> Look at you getting all diverse. What's he, is he Italian? Or? Uh, one of the Steves is. <laughs> um, so let's talk about working in a family business when you're not a family member, because this is something that we've, we've all gone through as well. How do you um, 
find is it difficult to integrate yourself into that world I mean you, you talked a little bit about the, the company culture being important in a family-owned business yeah yeah um, you know I think the the underlying message there is that the the way that you demonstrate your competence and your value to the organization builds trust within you know the ownership and the family members um, so that's something that ends up building over time and and really you know become something that as the owners they can't be everywhere you know there's their their time is finite their resources are finite they eventually need to build you know leadership succession that they're hoping to inspire and you know pull from the organization um, rather than maybe hiring from outside and um, just having a little bit less certainty of what experience and what values that person may um, may really hold. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it looks like kind of being an outsider kind of has its own advantages, um, you know, obviously there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. That's a really deep philosophical statement there. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, Dad. <laughs> Which would be great is if you called Tom Bly or Peg Bly mom or dad. <laughs> Those are the owners of Akadai. You know, there's times though that they act. They they still have that motherly and fatherly instinct that they will uh, they will absolutely play that role at times when they need to. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. It's inspiring. Yeah, I, I I mean I feel like my my previous employer it was a small family owned company and. I mean, he would tell me, he's like, I'm, I'm treating you like, you know, like one of my nieces or one of my daughters, you know, and it was, I really enjoyed that, that, you know, family company feel, yeah. of, you know, they, they really treat you. If you, if you do, if you are able to build their trust, um, build trust with them, then they do treat you like, like part of the family. Right. And, you know, the key thing there is uh, you don't want to be purely on that value system of trust. You have to have systems. You have to make like good business decisions, good data-driven decisions. So that's that's this, the thing that's always an interesting dynamic that um, you know you, you want to be able to present this clear information to be able to make informed decisions of how the business operates. And at the same time, um, you know, not, not build up so much red tape or, you know, layers to that that you can't actually be agile and pivot into something and have, like, an actual business owner make a business decision and move on maybe a new opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I know I've, I've worked, worked around. <laughs> and uh, some of the bigger companies, um, you know, it is frustrating when you don't have that ability to take it to someone with the authority to say okay I'd like to do this and they have to be like well you need to sign off you need the mother sign off you need um the mother's nephew's cousin sign off oh my god uh, the mother's nephew's cousin <laughs> they're the worst oh. just such a sticking point <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but um yeah I mean from my time at Accudine Accudine was a a good example of a company that was scaling but able to keep the business you know perspective in um in their line of vision i guess yeah yeah so i mean it was interesting we said that we you know we started with it was myself and then Lindsay joined shortly afterwards and since then we've grown through uh primarily hiring you know the engineering department in particular young engineers that are coming right out of the plastics program and um you know, to kind of offset that lack of experience, we had to build up some of the 
systems, the support structure, you know, pairing them with people that had experience. So you kind of combine that youth and energy with, um, no, we've seen this problem, this is how you fix it. And you merge those two things together to really come up with some innovative solutions to, uh, you know, new problems that we face every day. Merging the bubbly and the bossy. <laughs> the bubbly and the bossy. Yeah, I mean, I know when well, I B&B. started, I was only year and a half out of college, year out of college, I think. And, um, you know, I primarily worked with building tools in China and having them shipped um, directly to Mexico um, for Accutine's sister location in uh, Chihuahua. And I remember the first time I was like kind of listening to the scope of what I needed to do and I was just like, how do you do that? But you know, we had um, we had people who, you know, the tooling guy, he helped me go through all the, uh, the designs, make sure I wasn't sending something terrible over. Um, you know, we had uh, people who had shipped things down to Mexico. Um, you know, the owners, Tom and Peg, they helped me out a couple of times being like, okay, this is what you have to do. And then, um, you know, that very, I guess, uh, tricky <laughs> initial start, you know, has, has built up a lot of what I do in my jobs now. Yeah. And, you know, you come out and you're like, oh, shoot. And, <laughs> And now, you know, it's just, it's something buildable that, um, like I said, I've carried with me seven years later, eight years. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I was at an event at Pack Expo, and um, this uh, woman uh, with Bumblebee, she was saying that she had this role that was a very fuzzy role. One of her, you know, it was like maybe an assistant to a vice vice president, or maybe I'm getting that confused, but I know that it was her that said it. And anyway... um, she she said always take that fuzzy role because in that where you where you do have to wear a lot of hats and and where your position and and um, you know objectives aren't as, as clearly defined you learn so much more and you're able to to understand the business in a in a more um, holistic way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it you said it very well, Lindsay. The, um, the role makes people operate under lots of uncertainty. So, um, you know, making sure that as, as the, you know, leadership of the organization, we're trying to recognize in our employees, okay, as, as their experience and maturity is changing over time, you know, I, I have to change and adapt how I'm helping to manage them and helping to lead them. So someone that's like right out of the gate, you know, you you need to give them very explicit things that they may need some extra help figuring out, um, you know, the exact process. And you need to give them some of the background of why that's important. And then as their maturity increases, you get to step back from that a little bit and you, you almost flip to a little bit more of an administrative that you're, you're doing some check-ins to see how things are progressing and not... Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because I know um, one of my first customers, um, there was a guy named Lynn Flager, and I'll give him a shout-out. Yep. I, what and, a name. Hold up. Can we just talk about that name? Lynn Flager? He's a good dude. Wow. And he was name. like, he was a... Fantastic Fantastic engineer. engineer. And he was very intimidating to work with initially, but he... He was kind of like, uh, like the bumper system in a 
bowling alley. Like he just he just kept me in line. And if he if he didn't like the way I presented something to him, he would say, "Hey, you know, I don't want to see my data like this. Give it to me like this." And he was huge in kind of shaping how I report projects, even still today. Yep. So what kind of hat would he be wearing? Something like not a ten gallon like cowboy hat, but something like kind of badass, like John Wayne esque. Oh, okay. And we can say badass. I did check on that. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks Thank for you. listening. Plastics, the Voices of Resin is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, inspiring plastics professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit www.for, like the number, spe.org. If you've got a question, the Voices of Resin are here.